This morning we are in our church family series and we are just talking about some different kind of family business issues within the church. And um, as we've been going through this series, we've been talking about different things that we see, different things that need to be addressed and talked about as a church family. And this morning we're going to be talking about unity, which is one of the obvious, one of the most important and foundational things that any church has to have. There has to be unity amongst the staff, unity amongst the leadership, unity amongst the board, unity amongst the church members. And Satan fights this very hard. Satan hates unity, actually. And what Satan does is try to spread strife and disunity everywhere he, everywhere he goes. And he tries to separate uh, husbands and wives. He tries to separate uh, fathers and mothers from their children. He tries to separate neighbors. If he can't, just, just go watch, uh, you know, those little court TV shows that they have. See how many of them are about neighbors that are mad at each other about something. He tries to separate communities. He tries to separate uh, through political things and government. He tries to separate through race and ethnicity. It just go, he tries to separate. Anytime you see strife and division, you can be guaranteed that Satan's involved. I heard somebody say one time, and I, I don't know if this is true, but they said the manifest presence of God, meaning when we can physically experience the presence of God, the manifest presence of God is always marked by peace. And, and if you're in a worship service, you, the presence of God comes, there's this overwhelming peace. And they said if, if there's a manifest presence of Satan, it's strife and division. You can always tell when Satan is working involved. Again, you can see it in marriages, you can see it in churches, you can see it in a country, you can see when he is at work. So Paul addressed this a lot. Philippians chapter 2, verse 2. Notice what he says. He's writing to the Philippian church and he tells them, he says, complete my joy by being of the same mind. Everybody say same mind. Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. This is what he wants for the church because he knows that when the church comes together like that, that really there's nothing impossible. Nothing, nothing that can't be done when a group of people come together and they all have the same heart, same passion, same vision, overlooking each other's faults, right? Not getting caught up on petty little distractions and things, but focused on moving forward with the mission that God has called them to. Think about the Tower of Babel. Even God noticed that when, when mankind came together to build the Tower of Babel, he said there, there's so much unity through the common language and all of that. He said that they, could, they would be able to do anything. Nothing would be impossible to them. Jesus prayed. One of the prayers that he prayed right before he left this earth was that his disciples would be one as he and the Father are one, that we would experience that level of unity. And if you've been a part of churches for very long, you know that this can be a challenge. Uh, some of us may have, as a matter of fact, we may have been a part of churches in the past that there was a lot of strife and a lot of division. And I'm sad to say that actually a lot of churches sometimes are kind of known for that. They can be known for the backbiting from the board to the pastor to the elder to the staff and then sister so-and-so who's over this and brother so-and-so who's over that. And, they, and then there's the bickering and the talking and the backbiting and the gossip. How do we know that's not supposed to be happening in the church of Jesus Christ? Amen. That's not supposed to be like that. Um, and, and so we have to fight hard because we have a mission that God has given us. We've got to fight hard to overlook a lot of things so that we can be in one mind 
one love, full accord, as Paul said. He says it again earlier in the book, Philippians chapter 1, uh, 27. He says, let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Praise God. Uh, Psalm chapter 133, I want to read that too. I love this verse. Psalms 133 verse 1 says, Behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. It is like the precious oil on the head running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron, running down on the collar of his robes. It is like the dew of Hermon which falls on the mountains of Zion. For, and look at this. For there, where? At the place of unity. At the point of unity. For there the Lord has commanded the blessing forevermore. Amen. Now this reference is, of course, to the Old Testament when they would anoint the high priest with the anointing oil. And the anointing oil was symbolic of the presence and blessing of God. Anything that was anointed with oil, whether it was a person or whether it was a, a utensil that was to be used in the sacrifices and things like that, it was saying this is sacred, this is holy, this is set apart, it is not common, the blessing of God is on this. And that's why he uses this example. He says, anytime brothers come together in unity, the anointing and the blessing of God comes on that, that relationship. It comes on that union. And this is why several years ago, Pastor uh, Cedric and I from Global Impact, we came together as churches, totally different churches, totally different backgrounds, totally different ways of, of doing church. Um, but we partnered together to do Ron's house. You guys remember that. Um, and this is, this is what can happen when churches and Christians can work together. When churches and Christians can work together, you multiply power, influence, numbers, money. You multiply, and apparently from this scripture, you multiply the blessing and anointing of God. Because he said it's at that point of unity, look at what it says, that he commands the blessing. And it's something that has to be fought for. It's something that has to be valued. It's something that you should, as an individual, go, I'm not going to disrupt that under any circumstances because I understand the value of it. And I understand how important it is. So, you know, like I said, in churches, <clears throat> this, it can get out of control. You know, um, some churches, if strife isn't dealt with, division is, it can just grow and grow and grow until before long, the church can be completely focused on issues that don't even matter, that don't affect the kingdom, but we're arguing over... Not, this is not at One Life, trust me. This is not how we do things, and there's reasons for that. There's reasons why we don't get caught up in all that. But there are churches that can be like that where we're arguing over the paint color and the, and the rug and who's going to sit where and who's teaching this Sunday school class. Guess what? We don't do any of that at One Life. We don't argue over stuff like that. Right? There's a vision, there's a purpose that drives everything. And how many of you can just say, we don't have time for that? Right? Uh, that, that kind of stuff, the decisions get made and we move forward. And we don't get focused on that. Because those type of stuff are petty, they're small, and that's not what matters. What matters is the mission that this church is called to and the people that we are called to reach. So we don't get caught up in that. Now, for you as an individual... It's extremely important for you to guard your heart. And I'm going to tell you why. I'm going to show you a few things from Scripture because 
no matter how good of a person you are and how good of a Christian you are, Satan is going to attack you in this area. And if it's not with your church, again, it's going to be with your spouse. It's going to be with your kids. It's going to be people that God has brought you into relationship with that you're supposed to be in relationship with. He's going to bring division in those relationships. You know, I'll just tell you, and Pastor Cedric and I have talked about this. Uh, Pastor Cedric and I have been serving together probably going on, you know, about six years now. And don't think for one second there hasn't been challenges or opportunities for either of us to be bothered or offended as we don't see eye to eye on everything. Of course, that's going to happen. But you have to almost expect it and realize that when God has brought something together, Satan's going to try to separate it. That's what he does. Because that's how he causes it to be ineffective. So as Christians, one of the things we have to guard against is offense, division, strife, and contention. We have to fight against that. Here's why. Proverbs chapter 18, verse 19. And I've experienced this as a pastor so many times. A brother offended is harder to win than a strong city. And contentions are like the bars of a castle. And I have experienced this so many times that once a person gets offended, when they let offense in their heart, when they let dishonor, disrespect in their heart towards another person, towards a church, towards, uh, you know, uh, in a marriage, once you let that offense and disrespect and dishonor in your heart, look at what it says, a brother offended is harder to win than a strong city. In other words, a, a, a city that's been surrounded by fortified walls with armies and, and towers and chariots and all of that. He says, that person is harder to win than a strong city. In other words, once you allow it in, it's hard to get out. It's very hard to get out. It can be done. But I'm going to tell you my experience as a pastor. <clears throat> there, are, uh, you know, We've been going 13 years, and it's, it's a regular part of church life that someone is not happy about something, all right? That's just a normal part of church life. Someone, you know, because we got, the more people you get, the more likelihood that somebody doesn't like something or they got their feelings hurt. And then you add kids to the mix and you add youth to the mix and you add all kinds of stuff and you add volunteers to the mix who may have said something or done something not just right. There's just going to be plenty of opportunity for people to get upset and, and not be happy about something. And here's what I have found. I have found that once this scripture is so true, once a person allows offense in their heart, it's almost guaranteed that they're going to be gone. Not, and and uh, aside from whether or not this is actually where God's called them, aside from not where actually, whether or not actually this is where God wants them to be or not, many times through that offense they will separate themselves. Some of you in this room have walked with me through that, and I can probably count on one hand the number of people that were truly offended about something, fought through it, worked through it, and then stayed in the church where God had them planted. It's a, it's a very small number. It's a very small number. It just doesn't happen very often. And when it does, I'm so grateful and I'm so thankful. And I go, praise God that somebody saw the value and the big picture. Praise God that somebody saw the value of what was happening in their life and what God was doing in their family, what God was doing in their kids that they could go, you know what, we're going to overlook that for the bigger picture. Praise God for that. But it's rare. It's rare. It doesn't happen very often. And that could be, we're going to actually get into some of the reasons why that is true. Look at what Jesus said, Matthew 12, 25. He said, knowing their thoughts, he said to them, every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste and no city or house divided against itself will stand. 
one of the quickest ways that Satan can neutralize the power and effectiveness of a church is through division and strife. Because a house divided against itself will not stand. Praise God. So we have a, we have a huge responsibility to guard our heart and to make sure that we're not allowing this in to our life. Amen? It's, it's, a, it's a lot of work, but it's, it's very important. Now, we're going to talk about why does division happen in churches. Let's just kind of go through the reason. We've already talked about the, the, I would say, the satanic element of it. But let's just go through a few reasons, okay? And I don't mean these in a critical way. These are just realities of how things are. Why does division happen in church? Well, number one is immaturity. Just immaturity on our part. You know, immaturity of not knowing how to resolve differences effectively. So many of us grew up in different situations. Maybe we grew up in homes where that was common and present all the time. Just strife and division and anger and backbiting and gossip. So there's just immaturity in our lives. So that can happen. Some people do not handle conflict well. Some people do not communicate well. Uh, some people do not do well when they're told no or they don't get their way. Uh, and so we have all these other many dysfunctions in our lives. And so the, the dysfunctions that we have in our marriages and in our normal life, we can sometimes bring into the church, the church world as well. So number one, I think, why does division happen? Well, it just happens because of immaturity. We haven't grown past that learning how to do conflict. And, and look, if we knew how to do it, then our marriages would be a lot better too. We wouldn't see the problems in the divorce that we have and, and those issues too. It's this, they're kind of similar in that way. So immaturity would be one. Uh, another reason would just be ignorance. And I don't mean that in a negative way. I just mean lack of knowledge. Not, not understanding how the kingdom works. Not understanding God's structure of authority and how he does things and how he expects us to act when we don't agree with something or we get our feelings hurt about something. Sometimes people just don't, they haven't been in church long enough maybe, or they haven't heard it preached on, or they haven't read it in the Bible for themselves, and they don't realize the responsibility that we have as believers to act towards uh, other believers, authority in our life in general. Sometimes we just don't understand that, and we have, we have some ignorance of that. Uh, part of that ignorance sometimes is not understanding that churches are different and that church cultures are different. And I would say this is one of the number one things that happen, especially when somebody comes from another church. Anytime, I said this to you a few weeks ago, that anytime somebody walks into a church, they have an expectation of what that church is supposed to be like and what that pastor is supposed to be like. And it's based on other experiences that we've had, right? We went to other churches, and it was like this, and so we learned, oh, this is how churches are. This is how pastors are. Actually, no, that's how that church was, and that's how that pastor is. But every church culture is different, and every church culture, we haven't realized this, every church culture has a different assignment. You know, there are some churches that are heavily, heavily focused on outreach, and that's like their whole mission is to, to go out into the city and, and serve the city and reach the lost. There are other churches that uh, are very, very heavy on discipleship and training and building leaders. And that's the focus and the mission that God's given them. Every church will have elements of that, of, of both. 
But there are going to be churches that are very... Every church culture and calling and mission is unique. There are no two churches that are exactly the same. And this brings me to my next point, which is before you can offer a critique on anything, uh, not just churches, just anything in life, you first have to know its purpose. You can't, you can't critique anything until you know its, its purpose. Uh, the other day, I came up here to the church, and I, while I was driving, it, it was after hours, there was hardly anybody up here, and I, I was coming to the church, and I had something on my, my vehicle that was rattling, that was coming off, and all I needed was a simple pair of pliers. And I have, usually I carry around a pair of pliers in my, in my backpack, but I didn't have it with me. And then the building was locked, and I'm like, okay, what, what do I, all I need is just a simple pair of pliers to grab this piece and, and pull it off. And, uh, and, I, and I couldn't find what I needed. Men, you ever been in that situation where you, you just needed the perfect tool for the per and you could do it in about three seconds, but instead you don't have the right tool, and you gotta, you got to kind of make something else work that really wasn't intended for that job? Well, that's what I had to do. I found something out there that was like, uh, it, it, it resembled a pair of pliers, but it was not a pair of pliers at all. It had, it, the teeth on it were completely different, and it couldn't do what I needed it to do. Plus, it didn't open wide enough. And I'm just getting so aggravated at this tool. I'm like, this is the worst piece of junk. Why did they ever invent this tool? Well, guess what? I wasn't using it for its purpose. It, it has a specific purpose, that tool was designed and created for a specific job and a specific purpose. And I don't know what it was, but if I found out what it was, it would probably function extremely well within that purpose. But for the purpose I was trying to use it for, it was completely inadequate because that's just not what it was designed to do. And if I could talk to the owner of the tool, they would tell me that real fast. They would be like, look, you're using this for something it was never designed to do. And that's why I say you can't critique something until you know its purpose. Once you know why it was created, why it was designed that way, once you know what it is supposed to be doing, then you can offer a critique. But so many times, people will come into a church, and again, they'll critique, but they don't actually know, the, they haven't spent time learning the purpose and the culture and the vision of the church. They just come in with their own ideas of, well, this is what church is supposed to be like, and so you ought to be doing it this way. Well, you can't know that until you know what the purpose is. And guess who gives the purpose? God does. God's the one that planted One Life Church. You know, and when we planted One Life, of course, we asked that question, why do we need another church in Alexandria? We, we have a lot of churches. So if there's a lot of churches, uh, the, the goal and the idea from the Lord is not replicate and be like every other church. The, the goal is to find out where is our uniqueness? Where, where is our... How, how do we serve this city and serve this community the way that God has uniquely designed us to do? We're not trying to be like other churches. We're not trying to be like a church you may have, have come from. We're trying to hear from God and find out, God, what are you wanting? How are you wanting us to operate? How are you wanting us to do things? Amen? Okay, another reason why division can happen in a church is just simply the flesh. Right? When we, we know the fruits of the flesh. Fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace. Nothing about strife. <laughs> Nothing about division. When we're walking in the Spirit, being led by the Spirit, no. Anytime we get into the flesh, yeah, there's going to be strife, division. Why? Because those are fruits of the flesh. The Bible talks about that in the same chapter. It talks about the fruits of the Spirit. It talks about the fruits of the flesh. But I'm not going to read that to you. I want to read James chapter 3, 16. And James 
said it this way. He said, for where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. You see, those things are on the opposite end of the spectrum. They're, they're, what, they're what happens when you're yielding to the Spirit. But anytime we yield to the flesh, the, the result of that in the fruits are going to be very, very ugly. You ever kind of lost your temper, did something, said something, and immediately you just got yourself right back in line because you could tell, man, I just yielded to the flesh and now I'm, I'm getting right back in line here. Well, some people, they don't get back in line. They just keep going in that. <laughs> they just, they, and they may go for, for weeks and months in that. But no, we're called to yield and live to, by the Spirit. Another reason why division can happen in churches is because of pride. We, we, have, we let pride come in our heart. And here's why I say that. Because anytime you criticize someone or something else, you elevate yourself. Think about that for just a minute. Anytime you criticize, you're elevating yourself to a point. Because you're elevating yourself to a seat of judgment and criticism. When you are, when you are below something when you're, and you're humble and you realize that's not my place, I'm not, and you know, we, we've all been in those positions too where you go, oh, that's not my place. Oh, I don't have enough information to know that. That's a place of humility. Whenever you are walking in pride, you elevate yourself to a, to a position of judge. Now, we could spend a whole sermon on this because the Bible talks about judging, you know, not judging. Judge not, lest you be judged. When you criticize, you, you elevate yourself to the position of judge, where I'm looking at this situation, and here's my determination. This is wrong. You are wrong. You shouldn't be doing this. So anytime you criticize, you elevate yourself. And that is where I say pride comes in and can be the source and cause of division. So many uh, sources of contention would be resolved if we would just humble ourselves and walk in humility and go, well, I don't know why they said that or why that happened, but I'm going to do what love does. I'm going to believe the best. I'm going to do what the scripture tells me. I'm going to pray for them. The Bible even tells us to pray for our enemies, much less our brothers in Christ and our churches. I'm going to pray. I'm going to humble myself. But what I'm not going to do is I'm not going to criticize because maybe um, I don't need to elevate myself to that position to do that because that might not be my role, that might not be my job, that might not be my place, and I might not have enough information to do that. I know I've been guilty of that, where I'm making a judgment on something and then later more information comes and I go, well, gosh, if I'd known that, I wouldn't have said this. Or if I'd known that, I wouldn't have said this. Guess what? You hardly ever have enough information. There's almost always more information that can be brought to light that would cause you to change your judgment if you had the rest of the story and the rest of the piece of the puzzle. And so mature people learn that, and so they withhold judgment. Right? As you grow, you get wise, and you mature. You learn, ah, somebody asks you, what do you think about this? And you go, I, I'm not sure. I don't really know why they did that or why they said that. I don't have enough information to say definitively this was right or wrong or they shouldn't have done that. How many times have you made a judgment... And then you went and talked to the person and they gave you their side of the story and you go, well, that completely changes everything because more information came. The Bible actually tells us that in the book of Proverbs. It says everybody seems right when you hear them first. Everybody seems right until you've heard the other side of the story. 
So there's usually always more information. And again, humility acknowledges that and goes, I'm not going I'm go- to, I'm going to withhold judgment or criticism until um, I have all the information. You know, and here's something people don't think about very often. Uh, pastors have a lot of opportunity to get offended too. Everybody doesn't think about that. But, you know, I'm going to tell you as a pastor, uh, and, I, and I've worked at several churches before here and been in, been in, the, been in the ministry for uh, almost 20 years, pastors have a lot of opportunity to get offended too. Uh, you wouldn't believe some of the things I've told, told, if I told you that have happened to me and happened to, happened to my family in this church. I've had people talk about my mama. Oh, come on now. I know. I'm sorry. It happened. I've had people talk about my kids. I've had people talk about my wife. None of you, I'm sure. I'm sure none of you. But yes, yes, it happens. I've had people that I've poured into years of my life turn away, turn and walk away like I never did a single thing for them. Oh yeah, that happens all the time. So pastors have, I would say, more opportunity to be offended than church people. But guess what? We all are called to walk in love. Overlook, forgive, walk through people time and time and time and time again if they've, if they've fallen and they've messed up and they've made mistakes and people that should have, should have been there for you that weren't there for you. Yeah, you, you overlook and you pray and you move and you keep your heart right before God. So it's not like a single person uh, has a corner on this market. I think we all have an opportunity to walk in love and be patient and kind. Amen. Now, what are the consequences of division? Let's go through this because this is really where it gets, gets severe. It can, can get severe. One of the main consequences that I see of division is separation. Now, the word division actually means separation. It means to separate, uh, which, and, and uh, it's a mathematical term. The original word, you know, is mathematical, and the idea is to separate or, or divide. And this is the number one consequence of division is separating, particularly when you were not supposed to separate. Let, let, let's go back to marriage. The Bible says what God has joined together, let... Can y'all finish the verse? Okay, some of you been reading about... Some of you been to a few weddings, okay. What God has joined together, let no man separate. Let no man divide. Let no one come in and cause division. Why? Because it's permanent. The union is permanent. And so when division comes in, it can, it can do that. It can separate what God has joined together. And let me just tell you, you never want to separate what God has joined together. Did you know, this may be a revelation for some of you, and I don't care if it's this church, I don't care if it's another church, it makes no difference to me, but did you know you are not free to go to church wherever you want? Did you know that? Not in God's eyes. Now, if you're in charge of your life, sure. If you're the master and Lord of your life, sure, you're free to do whatever. But if God is in charge and God is the Lord and God is the master of your life, did you know that you're not free to go to church wherever you want to go? God has specific places that he calls us to. And he may not be on the same page with you when you go... Well, I got a, my feelings hurt. I'm leaving, going to find you. Or that other church has better coffee. Or that other church has better worship. Or that church has better youth program. Well, did you know none of those are good reasons to change churches? 
I promise you, I'm telling you this for your own good. Not, it's not for me. I don't care. You go Wherever God's called you go. As a matter of fact, I, I would never want a person here that's called to be at another church. And, and that can happen sometimes. But as servants of Christ, we are actually not free to just go to whatever, whatever church that we want to. Because the Bible says that He sets us in the body as He chooses. Each one as He wills. That he chooses and sets us in the body. So sometimes when I talk to people, and uh, it, you know, if, if someone asks me, oh, Pastor, I'm going through this at my church and this is happening, what do you think? You know, should I leave, should I not? The first question I ask is not how hard is it, not how wrong were you done, not any of that. I don't care about any of that because if you know God well at all, uh, none of those things automatically mean he's moving you out. You know, your, your marriage, well, the marriage is hard and this happened. It doesn't matter. That doesn't mean God's moving you out. That doesn't mean God's releasing you to separate what he joined together. Well, it's hard and I'm going through this and we're having this problem. Uh, it could be that he's asking you to deal with those problems and issues and help make it better and live in unity and peace and walk in the spirit. Yeah, just because something's hard doesn't mean God's giving you permission to leave. And we could learn that with a lot of things in our life. So, yeah, we're not really free to just do what we want. Not if God is our master. Not if the Lord is truly our Lord. And Jesus, you know, he, he had that, uh, he gave that revelation to his followers one time, and he said it like this. He said, he said I'm, I'm, I'm going to paraphrase. He said, I'm kind of getting annoyed because y'all keep calling me Lord. I don't think you know what that word means. Because why do you keep calling me Lord, but you don't do what I say? It would okay, it'd be okay if you called me Savior. It'd be okay if you called me Father. But if you're going to call me Lord, that means that you obey what I say and obey what I tell you to do. That's what Lord means. That's what Master means. So he said that. He said, why, why do you call me Lord and you don't do what I say? In other words, you need to find another term. Lord's not the right term for you because you're not, you're not obeying what I say. So it's good for us to get that in our mind. Look, I... I remember uh, one of the churches I worked at was a struggle. It was a challenge from day one. Uh, a lot of things came to light that I wasn't aware of shortly after we'd been there and et cetera. And uh, when we finally did leave, somebody, <clears throat> we were on staff there. When we finally did leave some years later, someone asked me, well, did you leave because of this, this, and this? And I said, no, absolutely not. I said, we knew all those things within the first week <laughs> of being there. And if it was because of those things, we'd have left then. No, we left when God gave us permission to leave. That's what we did. We prayed, and when the Lord released us to leave, that's when we left. Uh, it wasn't because of these things. Look at what uh, Titus 3.10 says. It says, for as, as for a person who stirs up division, after warning him once and then twice, then have nothing more to do with him, Knowing that such a person is warped and sinful, he is self-condemned. That's pretty hard, isn't it? That's pretty straightforward. But it tells you how serious division is. It tells you how serious strife and contention is. And this is essentially what Paul said. He said, within the church, if there is somebody who is stirring up division, you warn them one time, and then you warn them a second time. And after that, you have nothing more to do with them because that person is warped and sinful. He is self-condemned. In other words, you're not going to change them. If, if that's what they want to do and that's how they want to live, you're not, you're not going to change it. So what ends up happening? Then there's a separation that happens. And here's what I want you to know. 
There are consequences for separating when God has not called you to, to separate. Look, I, I feel like I got to pause here because I, if you hear this with the wrong ear, you can, you can feel like I'm saying, you, you can feel like I'm saying, hey, you're going to be in big trouble if you leave the church. I, guys, I promise you that's not what I'm saying. Okay, I promise you that that's not even how I, how I think at all. Okay, I want you to be where God's called you. That's what I want. I want for you to walk in the call and purpose of God. There are good people that leave our church all the time for various reasons. God's leading them to go to another job, work somewhere. God's leading them to go to another church. That's fine. I got no problem. Well, here's my thing, what I want you to understand. Don't leave because of division and strife. Don't leave out of that. Because I can almost promise you, if you leave out of that, it, God's, not, God's not on the same page with you on that. But mostly, don't leave, don't, don't separate yourself from where you're supposed to be. Now, let me, let me tell you a short story um, to, to help you understand this, okay? When I was in high school, uh, we were attending a, a local church here in town, and we were going to the youth group, loved the youth ministry, serving in the youth ministry. Uh, I was 15 years old at the time. Uh, at that time, Bill and Patty, my in-laws, they started attending that church. I didn't know them at all. We had never met, obviously, at this point. They were just strangers to me. They started attending the church we were going to from Dotson, Louisiana. They would drive in, what, hour and a half drive in to be at church on Sundays. At that time, we had Sunday night. And so they would stay all afternoon in Alexandria and go back Sunday night to church. Then we had youth on Monday nights, and they would come back in from Dotson on Monday nights. Look, some of y'all won't even bring your youth up here on Sunday nights. You live down the street. They would come, they would drive back from Dotson on Monday nights to bring their girls, their two girls, to the youth group. Guess what? I married one of them. I met Jennifer at youth group. Why? Let's not get super spiritual about it. Why? Because somebody understood the value of what we're talking about this morning. And there are things and plans and purposes and steps of God's will in your life that if you just uproot yourself and you go, oh, I'm mad, I ain't doing that. Or what if it wasn't even over division? What if they just said, that's too far of a drive. That's too far of a drive. I ain't doing that. I ain't bring, I'm not bringing y'all in on Monday nights to go to youth. That's too far of a drive. What if they said that? Well, it would have changed the whole course of our lives. I was telling my son this story the other day. I said, what's the moral of the story? He said, I would have never been born. I said, pretty big consequences, right? Pretty big. Listen, you're not free to just do what you want to do. You know why? Because you're not God and you can't see the future. You don't know all the steps down the road. You don't know all the things that God's doing in your kids' lives and connected. I'm, I'm shocked. I'm sad to say it. I'm sad to say it, but I, I've, I've watched in horror as people uproot their whole families from a church that they're planted in, that they love, that their kids are getting ministered to over something that I would say is just simple and, and, and nothing. Listen, we cannot have that level of, of pettiness and immaturity in our lives because we have to see the bigger picture of things and realize God has a process here, and I'm not free to just uproot and do because there could be Serious consequences. And guess what? You, you as a parent, okay, if you do that, if you choose to go down that path and it ends up affecting your children's lives and who they were supposed to marry and, and all the things that can be in place, you're going to be the one to answer before God for that. 
Hey, well, I don't like to think about that. Well, that's reality. We are responsible for the choices that we make and the way that we live. And we will give an account to God with what we did with our lives. And if we let something simple like offense or division or strife drive us out of the will of God when we should have been in the will of God, yeah, we will, we will give an account and we will answer for that. So that's the, I would say that's the number one you know, concern about division is that it separates people and, and, and situ- it separates people that should have never been separated. Whether that be marriages, whether that be church, whether it be our children, it can, it can separate them from what God is doing in their, in their life. Number two is that division and strife and gossip can cause other people to stumble. People that maybe were doing just fine until you got in their ear or until a a divisive person got in their ear. And now you're sharing your offense with them. And what the Bible says about that is that you're now causing that person to stumble and so you're going to be responsible for what happens in their life. This is why gossip is so serious. The Bible talks about gossip. And the reason gossip is serious in God's eyes is because you end up influencing the person that you're talking to. And if you're wrong and you influence, in them, you influence them wrongly, you're going to be responsible for what happens in their life. And Jesus said this, Luke 17, 1. He said to the disciples, Temptations to sin are sure to come, but woe to the one through whom they come. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were cast into the sea than that he should cause one of these little ones to sin. At that point, he was talking about children, but the same applies to anyone. He says, temptations to sin are sure to come, but woe to the one through whom they come. Yeah, sure, people are going to walk away. People are going to be divided. People are going to gossip. People are going to be separated through division, he says, but woe to the one who is the, the, the driving force of that. He said, if that's you, it would be better for there to have been a millstone hung around your neck and cast into the sea. Jesus said that. So it's extremely important. Sometimes you come across things, you hear things, you get certain knowledge about certain things. That doesn't mean you should go share it with every person you know. Why? Because we have a responsibility to those people. And we have a responsibility to not stir up strife and contention and those sorts of things. Thing, things. Okay, number four, what happens? Consequences of division. Well, number four, it affects the blessing of God on our life because you cannot sow strife and division and then reap blessing. All right, this goes back to Psalm 133 where he was talking about uh, where the Lord commands the blessing. If the Lord commands the blessing at the point of unity, then how does he respond at the point of strife and division? Well, I mean, it would make sense that he removes the blessing. If he, if he puts the blessing on unity, what does he do with strife and division? That blessing is, is removed. There is no blessing uh, on, that, on those relationships and on that person. Look at what is said in Proverbs chapter 6, verse 16. It says, There are six things that the Lord hates, seven things that are an abomination to him. 
And I want you to pay attention to the things in this passage that, conti- that contribute to contention and strife. Because they don't all mention it specifically. But notice the things that continue. Number one, haughty eyes. That's pride. We already talked about that one. Lying tongue. Usually involved with gossip and, and spreading, spreading lies. Hands that shed innocent blood. A heart that devises wicked plans. Feet that make haste to run to evil. A false witness who breathes out lies. And the last one, one who sows discord or division among brothers. It's listed in the seven things that God says, this is an abomination to me, is someone who sows discord and division. Have you ever met a type of person that for some reason they just seem to thrive on division and strife? It's like if there is any little gossip, if there is any little morsel, they love to just go share it, and they'll share it with this one, and they'll share it with this one. It's almost like they find value because... They, they are the purveyor of like secret and mysterious information. And so you can come to me for, as the source of everything. And they just, they just thrive. The more strife and they spread. And they talk to this one and they play both sides. And he says, one who sows discord among the brothers. He said, it's an abomination to me. So naturally, if it's an abomination to God, his blessing is not going to be on that. Guys, the Bible says that we are to be like our Heavenly Father. We are to be like Him. We are to be forgiving. We are to walk in peace. When we go into a room, our peace is supposed to go with us. The shalom of God. The peace of God. Matter of fact, we're supposed to be able to walk into a divisive situation and bring peace. That's who we're supposed to be. We're supposed to carry that peace and presence of God that calms the storm. The Bible said, Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers. In other words, where there is no peace, you go in and make peace. That's what a peacemaker is. You go into a situation where there was no peace, and through wisdom and the leading of the Spirit and the fruit of the Spirit, you walk in and you bring peace to that situation. That's what a true child of God does. But any of us can get off in that, and we can yield to the flesh and we can get we can get off and we can make mistakes in that area but what you have to decide is it's not going to come through me okay any a lot of times uh, there are times where what you're seeing or what you're upset about is correct but did you know that you can be a hundred percent right and a hundred percent wrong at the same time you can be a hundred percent right in what you're seeing but a hundred percent wrong in how you handle it and sometimes people, they, they may see something that they go, well, this isn't right. You may be completely right about it. But does that mean now, what are you going to do from there? Does that mean you're going to go and cause strife and discord and contention and those types of things? So let me just say this as, as we close this morning. For all of these reasons, we from the very beginning of planting this church, because I've seen this in churches my whole life, from the, very re, from the very beginning of planting One Life Church, we decided that we would be a church that does not allow division and strife. We don't allow it. If we see it, if we hear it, we deal with it quickly. We go talk to the people involved. We have conversations. We have meetings. And it either gets, it either gets resolved. It gets stamped out. People repent, apologize, make it right, or else they move on. Because we do exactly what Paul said. We're going to warn twice, we're going to warn once, we're going to warn twice, and then after that, we're moving on. But we don't allow strife and contention in this church. And that's one of the reasons uh, why our church doesn't operate 
like a lot of churches uh, that maybe you've been a part of. You know, if we have people come here all the time. They're like, man, this church is so peaceful. The church I came from, they were fighting all the time. There were people talking. Yeah, we, we don't do that. If there's any of that, we address it immediately. We deal with it immediately because of all of these things that we were just talking about. It's one of the ways that we have to shepherd and protect the body is to protect it from strife and division. Whatever is valuable has to be protected. And I'm going to tell you, for 13 years, we have worked really hard as a church to create an environment of peace and a, a strife-free environment. And everyone in this room has a part to play in that. You know why? Because gossip and division can't spread when it hits a brick wall. If, everywhere, if, if every time someone tries to spread that, that stuff, if it hits a brick wall and you go, mm -mm, not, it ain't coming through me, it ain't coming past me, then it stops it dead in its track. The only, the only way that it thrives is when it finds a breeding ground and, it, and it, it finds the right soil, then it can now multiply and grow and develop. So we all have a responsibility to say, not only is it not going to come out of me, but it's not going to pass through me either. When, when that stuff gets spread and talking, you've got to be able to identify and go, uh-uh, uh-uh, I don't want to know about that. I don't want to be part of that. No, I'm not, uh-uh, we're not doing that. I, I don't want to be any, any part of that. Because my goal is to love, forgive, spread peace, not, not strife and division. Amen? Amen? Praise God. Let's stand on our feet this morning.